Hello, hello, and hello, everybody! Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? I am so excited. In today's episode, we are really, really pumped to welcome our special guest, Henry Johansson, to join us today. Henry is a very successful serious entrepreneur. He co-founded and built the company Boundless into a hundred. Million dollars business. Wow! Today he is a co-founder and CEO of Gamba,、uh, the world's first end-to-end product development platform and talent marketplace, with a vision to democratize product innovation. That's right. We'll chat more about that later. Henry specializes in technology-enabled service. Marketplace and software as a service. He's an expert on scaling businesses, building a world-class team culture with the right infrastructure. Wow, he's been featured in all those amazing places such as Forbes, Entrepreneurs, Austin Business Journal, and was named Concert of 2017 Person of the Year. Wow, <laughs> with that, everybody, thank you so much, Henry, for joining us、oh, and welcome、you. to the show. The pleasure is all mine. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, Henry, tell us how do you grow up? How does all the journey begin? Ah,、uh, in a small town in Sweden,、Ooh. a long time ago.、Uh, yeah, we grew up.、Uh, I'm Swedish.、I、grew up there, small town in southern Sweden.、Um, parents that were not entrepreneur、mm. or not even entrepreneurial in any way, really. Awesome parents, though.、Um, so I grew up there.、Um, really focused.、Uh, We ran a lot. My dad was sort of the the strong, silent type, and, and far, former farmer. Yeah. Now a bureaucrat, <laughs>、uh, in local government.、Um, but we, the, the one thing we shared in, in common and had a passion for was <clears throat> being in the outdoors. So we ended up running a lot.、Mm-hmm. We became pretty good at cross country. Competed in that. We、mm. competed cross country skiing. Wow. So that was really the the, the first passion, and、uh, I think it really helped. Create an identity because my, you know, my, it was very different from I'd say the typical American upbringing where your parents are like, "Oh, you're the best, you're awesome." Our parents、um, didn't didn't push us in any way, really, or or build us up in any way. So I think that for me, when I went my first first cross country race, that was a big deal, and my my picture was in the newspaper the next day, and you know, people recognize you in school and stuff like that. So that's I think. That was a that's a big moment for me in my in my upbringing and 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 helping build my identity. What does that mean for you? Well, I, I think it meant a few things.、Um, one thing I, I think endurance sports or or any sports really、mm-hmm. I think help brings build endurance not just in in the physical way but just the ability to to tolerate pain and, and work through obstacles and and、uh, not whine about them right <laughs> in some way almost. You learn to to enjoy it and take pride in, in it. I, I often said that I wasn't probably not the most talented runner, but I, I felt that I could endure more pain than anybody else. <laughs> wow! Do you always always that way, or that's a chose characteristic to、yeah. endure the pain the most? I, I don't know, but but as, as I said, I think it, it became my part of my identity、mm. that, that I felt like yeah, it doesn't matter if they're. More talented than me, or or bigger, I'm just gonna push harder. And will you want to be a runner? Grow up at the time? Oh yeah, yeah. That's I saw myself being in the Olympics or something like that. Then、know? what happened? I grew too fast. I was pretty short when I was twelve, and 
I was 12, 13. I was one of the best runners in the country. Um, wow. And then I started growing. I'm 6'3 now and, you know, grew too fast and stretching wasn't really much of a thing back then. At mm-hmm. least I didn't know mm-hmm. how to do it properly. So my my calves and tendons got too short. I got Achilles tendonitis and then uh. that's plagued me ever since. So it, it kind of, I had a couple of years where I had decent seasons, mm-hmm. but after that I was never quite that good anymore. Was it hard to be crushed at the first dream that you <laughs> yeah. had? <laughs> it was hard at the time, yeah. I, 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 was, I was angry at times. Also, they, you know, for, for some reason, I got advice to, to have surgery when I was 15. And today, you know, they would never operate on a young, growing person at, at that age. But for some reason, that, that's what I was advised to do, and that just made it worse. So. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well. Wow. You know. How do you pick yourself up? How do you pivot? What's well, I mean, there was a lot going on, right? And you mm-hmm. grow up and you start getting interested in girls and mm-hmm. having friends and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was walking around depressed for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But, but running has always been a big part of, of my life. I, I think I, mm-hmm. I see it as meditation. Um, mm-hmm. I just love running. To me, it feels it's part of who we are, who we're supposed to be. I don't know if you read the book Born to Run, but no. it's, it's a brilliant book that really talks about that we – the our species, Homo sapiens, that's one thing that made us different, that that made us the, the dominant species on the planet was just our ability to run. Why? It's painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but before, like, then we didn't have shoes, but somehow we were able to run and, and not get injured, right? Just like all the other animals, they're, they're, human beings seem to be the only ones that get injured from, from sports and exercise. And, and you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail. Part of it is like these stupid shoes that we're wearing. It's like mm. if you run with almost no shoe or barefoot, you crouch a lot instead of st- sitting in chairs, you kind of automatically stretch yourself. Anyways, I'm geeking out on running here. but No, I love that. I love yeah. the passion. And I <laughs> wish I can run for meditate. That sounds yeah. like a lovely hobby to have so yeah. I can... Uh, Exercising at the same time, but mm-hmm. that's amazing that you have such a passion to that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always been a big part of my life. So, do you always know you want to left your country one day? No, I really had no idea, and really not even any 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 plans for it. It mm-hmm. just kind of happened. So, um, tell us how this happened. Yeah. So, you know, after after small town, I went to university a place called Linköping it was a little bigger city got my master's science electrical engineering and computer science there mm-hmm. and still didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, mm-hmm. I did start get a sense that maybe engineering wasn't quite mm-hmm. my thing I did my thesis at, at a big telecommunications company called Ericsson mm-hmm. and I was just yeah I, I just not getting me excited you know sitting in a basement coding so last year I took a lot of marketing classes and mm-hmm. started looking at potentially other other careers or, or maybe an engineering company but in, in sales and marketing function. Then I learned about um, uh, Anderson Consulting, a uh, management consulting firm that's now Accenture. Back yeah. then it was Anderson. And my girlfriend at the time, she applied there and she said, well, you should apply too. And she ended up not getting a job and I got the job. <laughs> and that's what got me Anderson. And, and it's a big, you know, global firm yeah. headquartered in the U.S., and through by, when joining there, I got to travel to the U.S. and uh, that sort of opened my eyes to that. Wow, this this could be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And at the time, were you living U.S. already? No, no, I was living in Stockholm. Mm. So I joined Anderson in the Stockholm office, mm-hmm. worked there. Uh, originally, I mean, it was a pretty 
after they sent you six weeks to to Chicago, St. Charles mm. training camp with a bunch of clones. You know, they hired a bunch of college grads. Yeah. Uh, and it was an awesome experience. You know, people from all over the world yeah. came there for those three weeks and you lived together and worked hard together. And then mm -hmm. so they kind of made you turn you in a little Anderson clone. Mm -hmm. And then they sent you projects and I worked you know, 80 hours a week. Of I remember course. one week I worked 100 hours, pulled an all-nighter. So it's, you know, it was a great start of a career, I think, mm -hmm. because they really taught you a lot of business fundamentals, mm -hmm. hard work, ethics, um, uh, business processes and stuff like that. So, but, but it was also, you know, really hard. <laughs> of course. But I, I managed to, then I had an opportunity after about a year and a half or so to go to the U.S. on a project. Mm -hmm. And that's when, when that door really opened. I came over here. I was in Dallas. It was supposed to be six months and mm -hmm. I never went home. <laughs> mm. well, I did went home, go home for a little bit to get fixed visas and stuff like that. But right. I came over and, and kind of fell in love with the, with the U.S. and yeah. decided to stay. So when is when you first start testing uh, the watered up entrepreneurship? Yeah, that was um, so. I worked for Anderson in Stockholm, and then in Dallas, and then I met my now wife uh, mm -hmm. Kashla, and she wanted to go to California. So we moved to San Francisco together in 1995, mm. and you know that was the beginning of the dot com time, you know, era. So um, started getting to know people up there that were in the technology space. I'd never even thought about entrepreneurship prior to that, mm. um, but met some entrepreneurial folks and met my my two co-founders from my first company, Creditland. Mm -hmm. uh, I was locked up. I had to stay with Anderson for two years, but as soon as those two years were up, I quit and we went and started my first company. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Was that scary? I mean, you were the big consulting company. Mm -hmm. It's a comfort zone is a challenging experience you learn a lot like it must be hard to walk away it was yeah it was a big decision um financially was you know a big drop in pay of course um i think that what really part of what drove it too is that as a consultant i was traveling 100 percent of the time mm. so there i am in san francisco awesome city me and my girlfriend and i'm on the road mm -hmm. like every week mm -hmm. So that was as much of a driver, I think, for, for me to wanted to get out of the consulting piece. And yeah. then, you know, there was no hotter startup environment in the world than San Francisco in 1997. Yeah. You know, it was, it was crazy. There were dot-com popping up everywhere. And, you mm -hmm. know, it was, as we know now, hubris and, you know, <laughs> overconfidence in, in what was going to happen. But, but being there at that time, at the sort of epicenter of this technology evolution or revolution was mm -hmm. was amazing and, and it felt that you couldn't fail mm -hmm. and i think that that feeling collectively cost it eventually to you know create this bubble that that eventually failed but but it was an amazing time to be there yeah. I, I don't think you didn't worry much about failing because it was it was so much momentum you felt Isn't that, that you're on this yeah i think we all should take that spirit yeah i think we all are dreamers visionaries in our own right but then, of course, it's same thing happened. Like you know, so this is my. I've been through the dot com crash, the great so recession. So you were in the, the dot com crash. Yeah. In the first business. Yeah. So talk to us about that. You were so bullish. You're going to the startup. You quit your fancy job, and you're yeah. like, "This is awesome!" Yeah. And then boom. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, Tell us more. So, <laughs> we, we, my wife and I, we got married right uh, before the crash. So okay. at that time. You know, the company, we had raised 35 million bucks, and, which back then, you know, Huge. was a lot. And the um, company was growing fast. We had yeah. over 100 employees. And, you know, I, on paper, I was 
worth quite a lot of money. And we're like, oh, we must have this awesome wedding. Yeah. We had opera singers and Cuban cigars and friends flying in from Sweden. It was an incredible wedding. And then literally like three months after that, the crash happens. Uh, How do you hear that and, news that day? Do you remember? Yeah, I think that the biggest piece was like we had a term sheet on the table. We're going to raise another round. And they pulled it. And it was like an overnight realization that, oh, shit, we don't have money. We can't continue. So we, we fought a good fight there, you know, tried to negotiate with creditors yeah. and, you know, did a couple of rounds of layoffs, brought it down to skeleton crew, tried to sell the business. But, you know, similar as what's happening right now in, in July of 2022, when that thing's happened, things like that, everybody just curls mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Investors don't want to write checks. Companies don't want to buy other companies. Mm -hmm. So we ended up having to to uh, shut down the company, basically. How many years was that after you quit your job? That was it's about three years. Three yeah. years. Yeah. At that moment, were you regretting your choice? In that moment, I, I did go back to Anderson and see if they would hire me again, <laughs> but they weren't hiring. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I regretted it. You know, of course, you you were a bit of in panic mode. It's like mm -hmm. we didn't have much savings, you know, and mm -hmm. um, um, so you you were like, what are we gonna do? And there was literally, you know, tens of thousands of people in exactly the same situation uh, in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. you know, any tech hub, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and there weren't any jobs, nowhere was hiring. So it was, you know, it was scary for a while. How do you get over that? Well, finally, I, I got a job offer from a company in Austin, mm. um, which is how I ended up here. Uh, initially, it was just a consulting gig. Mm -hmm. So they, my first company, Creditland, was an online lending marketplace. Mm -hmm. So we helped, uh, you know, borrowers, consumers to, you know, we pulled a credit report and we matched them up with different lenders, credit card, mortgage, auto finance, and stuff like that. It was a co similar company in Austin mm -hmm. that, you know, still had some money in the bank, mm -hmm. but didn't know what to do with it. Uh, so they, they brought me down as a consultant. Uh, mm -hmm. I came down for a couple of weeks and within weeks, they offered me the job as the president to come in and run the company. Mm -hmm. So I called my wife. She was still here in, in San Francisco and said, hey, what do you think about moving to Austin? <laughs> so that was 2001. Wow. And we moved here. That's quick. And then what's what's next from there? Do you still have that entrepreneur bug in your heart while you're running oh, the yeah. business? I mean, it took, I think, like, you have PTSD for a little bit. You're a little <laughs> shell-shocked, right? It's like, whoa, what happened? So I worked for this other company for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, started itching again that... Mm -hmm. um, I want to do this again. I want to start another company. Mm. And met uh, my co-founder for Boundless, Jason Black. Mm -hmm. He had this idea. Mm -hmm. uh, he was more of a sales business guy. He didn't have anybody with technology background engineering. Mm -hmm. So uh, we started talking and, and decided to start Boundless together. Wow. I noticed that you are fantastic at meeting the right people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I got... At that time, I actually hired a, a coach... Um, career coach mm -hmm. and she gave me great advice she said don't apply to jobs nobody gets a job applying to jobs or at least not the kind of job that you're looking for so her advice was just go meet people mm -hmm. you're new in Austin go meet people and mm -hmm. for everyone you meet ask them for two more people that they would in, you know mm -hmm. would introduce you to mm -hmm. and it worked you know <laughs> you you meet people and, and particularly I think still in Austin, but back then it's a pretty small community. Mm -hmm. 
and people are very welcoming. I think Austin's mm -hmm. still an incredibly welcoming still. town, and that's why so many people come here. But back then, it was it was a small universe, and yeah. pretty quickly, I got to know Everybody. most of the investors and you know startup CEOs around town, and, yeah. and eventually, I got introduced to Jason. And yeah. at that time, I was looking for a job, but he's he had the idea of starting another business. And I'm like, hmm, this sounds interesting. Mm. So we did. So we. We started trying to raise, raise money together and and uh, got a small small round of funding for for a seed funding and then you know started started the company. Mm, tell us about that journey. Second time around, how does the process, how does the experience feel for you? Yeah, this one. I mean, one thing I learned from from the first startup was we tried to do too much mm -hmm. at the same time, right? Mm. We could have built a billion dollar company just focused on credit cards, like mm -hmm. credit cards or something like that, or credit cards. We tried to do credit cards and auto loans and mortgages and personal loans at mm. the same time, mm. and building a technology platform for that. And you know, if we would just focused more, our money would have lasted longer, and you know, um, we would have had a different outcome probably. Yeah. <laughs> so this time around, what's, what what I loved about about Jason and this business model was that you know it was a direct path to revenue. Mm -hmm. We we were gonna use some third party technology while we were building out our platform, mm -hmm. but immediately bring on people, uh, existing people in the industry that had a book of business mm -hmm. uh, to bring that in, so that we had mm -hmm. a fast path to revenue. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the biggest takeaways. That um, you know, keep an eye on on how quickly you can monetize things and, and not just shoot for the stars and hope that the money is gonna come someday. Mm -hmm. So that was you know. That worked really well, and we grew very fast for um, um, three years. You know, from I think we did 600k the first year, then five million, then 12 million, then 24. Million. So we pretty much doubled every year until the recession hit. <laughs> oh, so it yes. was like, oh no, not again. And then what happened? Well, at the time we you know, similar again. It's like this. Uh, uh, it's interesting. I you know every company I've started have been venture funded. Mm -hmm. But it's you know there's awesome things about VC funding. Tell us more. Because you you don't have to wait for profitability to invest, right? You can you can invest in technology. You can hire great people. You can pay people well. You can um, you can run fast. Mm -hmm. um, but it's easy to get hooked on it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like VC cocaine almost. Like <laughs> it's 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 great. But then whenever times changes, like they did in '98, like they did in the Great Recession, and like they're doing today. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that you're not dependent on it. That mm -hmm. you have a plan B. That like if the capital markets dry up, that you're not just left there mm -hmm. without it. Unfortunately, with with Boundless, it was a similar situation there. One investor had promised us a ten million dollar check, mm -hmm. and they they changed their mind, and oh suddenly God. we found ourselves that we had to had to be profitable. Yeah. Fortunately, at that point, we you know we were twenty five million in revenue, so. Mm -hmm. There was a clear path to profitability. We mm -hmm. we just just had to reduce cost and mm -hmm. get lean and, and and even though the markets were down, our, our we continued to grow through the through the whole recession mm -hmm. and uh, became profitable and then controlled our own destiny. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Was it a hard pivot or that more like a decide execute? Life is good. Um, I think one thing that that. Is um, important trait for an entrepreneur, as uh, Jim Collins called it, to have a, a, a great, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, a, a tolerance for ambiguity, right? Mm. That you, 
that even though things are unknown and even if you only have two months of cash in, in the bank, that you're okay with that, that, you know, you, you're, you're, you can see where the, where the edge of the cliff is, mm -hmm. but you don't really freak out. Of course, it's always there in the back of your mind, and you know you got to fix something before yeah. you run over the cliff, but it doesn't, you don't lose sleep over it. Maybe you lose a little sleep, but, but that you have the ability to, to, to face the brutal facts and, and deal with them. You Do know? you think this ability is innate, natural? Or is a learned ability? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I think for me, it's always been, my parents were very even keel. I don't know if they raised their voice a single time during my old childhood. So I think I, I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. Um, my co-founder in Boundless, Jason, he used to say, it's like, Henrik, I can't tell. I can't read you. <laughs> Aren't you excited? And I said, I am excited, but you don't look excited. I was like, well, this is my excited face. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for me, it's probably innate. That's it's mm. always been there. I tend to not sweat the little stuff or freak out about things, but just have a better pragmatic but view I'm, of things. I'm also thinking, Henry, you are someone who run for the pain. You know, pain gonna be there eventually. <laughs> you mm -hmm. run for it regardless. That mm -hmm. is something, isn't it? I think so. And now when you mention, I was just listening to Lex Friedman's podcast with, with Joe Rogan. Mm. And Lex asked him about how do you get through this? Because mm -hmm. it was Joe, he had some, some guests on the podcast and he had a lot of criticism. Mm -hmm. um, and he said part of it was um, doing mushrooms, <laughs> which I don't do. But the other part was he worked out really hard. Mm -hmm. And his his opinion was like, if you torture yourself, if you're you're comfortable with that, mm -hmm. then the rest doesn't seem that hard. Mm. So there might be something there. Right? That, that, that I think that having mm. that tolerance for pain mm. is related to that, mm. maybe. I love that. And, you know, I never work out when I'm in China. Yeah. Uh, when I start working out in the United States, you know, I love just working out in the morning. I'm not a runner myself, but yeah. I do have this one motto I, I say in my mind. I say, if I can beat myself, if I can put myself in, if I can win this moment for myself, mm -hmm. nothing else I cannot do. Yeah. And I literally felt it's that moment. It's just me against the universe. Mm -hmm. It's no one else out there. Me in the gym, me with a dumbbell, me with this weight. It's just me and my intention. If I can mm -hmm. conquer this, the world is my oyster. Yeah, that's that's well said. I think I think there's something there. That's and we're amazing. Su we're supposed to, even going back to the whole born to run, it's like we're supposed to be working, moving, you know, building caves, chasing down animals, right? Not that's what we're built, <laughs> bodies were built to do. They were not built to sit on our butts and chairs in front of computers all day. That's just not good for us. I agree that we born to move, but yeah. I'm not sure if I agree that we born to run because it's a very specific activity yeah. that requires a lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to read the book and just see if I, because I love to work mm -hmm. out. I love to do a lot of different types of workout, but mm -hmm. running just not in my regiment. Yeah. And I'm, I truly admire people who love to run. Like mm -hmm. I think it's so simple. You can just put on the shoes, you're good to go. Yeah. You don't need any other fancy things. Yeah. And I just admire them just can go for the pain and yeah. knowing that even it's there, they go for it anyway. Yeah. That's admirable. Yeah. But when you run a lot, it's not painful anymore, right? At least not, you can go a six mile run and it doesn't hurt. Sure, you can push yourself, so it does yeah. hurt. But that's one of the beautiful things too, right? When you are in really good shape, you feel like you can jump over rooftops. The worst, and you the can worst just go on a six mile run and you, you barely, you know, get winded. Wow. That's a good goal to shoot for. <laughs> yeah. So 
back to you, Henry. That yep. you know, two thousand eight crash happened. You、mm-hmm. team had to pivot quickly. You、yep. all decided to get linked. You know, buckle up, moving through this process. How was that like? Was it easy? Um, it was not easy. Um, but it was pretty clear what we had to do.、Mm. Um, and as I said, I think there was a clear path there,、mm-hmm. and you know, we've always had that. We were never one of those sort of unicorn startups. They're just like. Blowing through cash, we raised less money for Boundless than we did for Creditland. You know,、mm-hmm. and Boundless lasted for 15 years, reached 100 million dollars in revenue versus Creditland. You know, died <laughs> you、mm-hmm. know, two years in, three years in. So we we were more prudent. We'd we'd learned I'd learned from my mistakes, and,、mm-hmm. and we collectively we ran a tighter ship,、mm-hmm. and we're never that far off, right? Yeah, we we raised VC and we we invest in technology, but we were always sort of arm's length from profitability, so we could get there. It's funny, my CTO at the time, David Detmer. We we had this goal: we're going to get profitable in six months. So we decided we're not going to shave until we get profitable. <laughs> so we didn't shave for like six months. We looked terrible at the end. We had these big beards, but it was this like, rallying cry. And and just put it, you know, every time you look in the mirror, you're like, yeah, we got to get to profitability. We got to get to profitability. And everybody in the company could see. All right, they're not shaving. We're this is <laughs> <laughs> we're not there yet.、Um, wow. So that that was really cool. We took it from the you know in NHL hockey league,、mm-hmm. a lot of teams they don't shave during the playoffs,、mm. so they just grow these huge beards until they either get kicked out or, or they win the Stanley Cups. <laughs> talking about determination,、mm-hmm. talking about burn the boat. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And then your wife's on you every day. It's like,、right, <laughs> you're gonna get profitable. You can shave that thing off. <laughs> then was that day finally came? When yeah, well, there was one month I forget when it was, but you know, finally we had. We we proved profitability and then we got the shave. It's a、yeah. great feeling. <laughs> Amazing! Wow, that must feel really good. Yeah, it did. We took pictures before and after and shared <laughs> them with everybody. And what happened next? Well, now now you're profitable and you control your own destiny. So that felt great. You know, that was probably 2011, 2012.、Um, what's interesting though is like now. The VCs aren't really interested in you anymore, because the VC, even though we're you know now probably forty million in revenue, profitable company, but we're not growing super fast,、mm-hmm. right? They they want these unicorns, right? That's how the whole VC world works.、Mm-hmm. It's either they they invest in ten companies and bet that one's going to be a unicorn, and a couple of them is going to give like a five ten x return, and、mm-hmm. then they don't care about the rest.、Mm-hmm. So we were like old news, you know. We raised the first round in two thousand six. Here we are, two thousand twelve, six years later. Yeah. And so they weren't really interested in investing more. So from that point over forward, we were, you know, operating as a non-funded company basically,、mm. we,、uh, and continue to build it, you know, based on our own profits. So, and and did a pretty darn good job doing that. You know, we grew from from where we were, forty million dollars to hundred million dollars, and had a successful exit in the end. Sold the company and.、Um, How do you know when to walk away? That was, you know, that was a board decision. Similar there, like VCs, every investment they make is part of a fund that has a limited time frame, right?、Mm-hmm. And they need to return that that the returns to the to the LPs, their、mm-hmm. their investors, you know, within a time ten year time time frame or so. So,、mm-hmm. I think it was like yeah, around ten years after our original investment, two thousand sixteen, that.、Mm-hmm. Like okay, we're we're at a point we should be able to have a good exit here, so let's go see if we can sell the company. And that's not hard to walk away for you, Henrik.、Uh, it was, um, 
I didn't walk away right away. Um, mm-hmm. We ended up selling to a company that that kept the company intact, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it ter- turned out great because we didn't have to walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, and most companies, you know, when they're acquired, they get chopped up and, you yeah. know, the, the brand goes away. Most of the employees, especially the original employees, leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't. So they, they kept us as a separate entity, a wholly owned subsidiary, mm-hmm. and we, we kept on running it. Um, it's amazing. So I did that for another three years. I had a had an earn out there, so they, mm-hmm. you know, had good incentives to stick around. But but at that time, it started to, you know, feel like you, you were done. I mean, I'd, I'd spent mm-hmm. 13 years there at the time, and mm-hmm. which is an eternity in, in the startup world, you know. I look back, it's like, how, how did that happen? How did I spend... 15 years at that company it's just crazy yeah um, but but it was a good run we built a great company and mm-hmm. uh, and created great careers for a lot of people a very diverse culture mm-hmm. uh, uh, which has been the pride parade every year and, and it was a really really great company and uh, you had a good run yeah we had a lot of fun uh, so a lot of great memories and um, my kids you know we had our daughter Chloe in, in 2004 and mm. Axel 2008. So they their whole upbringing uh, was with me at Boundless. And mm-hmm. When I told them I was going to quit, they're like, "What?" <laughs> they never never seen anything else. Oh wow! But yeah, so then at, at Boundless after after we sold and after about a year in with the new owners, I was like, "Yeah, time to start something else." So I started, you know, using my career coach old advice, start talking to people and. Mm-hmm. I had started traveling to China at that point because we're Ooh. manufacturing some products over there. And that really got my, my wheels turning, um, really seeing for the first time how how overseas supply chain works and, mm-hmm. and the difference between factories and factories. You know, some are highly sophisticated with robo- robots and stuff, and then others are basically, you know, somebody's apartment <laughs> garage with kids working in there. Right, so it's is this massive difference, and and also one thing I inherited from my mom was I was always cared a lot about the environment and mm-hmm. you know doing the right thing. Um, so to me, that also opened up. So, oh wow, we we don't know what goes into our things. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know how they're manufactured. So the, the the original idea was more of a transparency software that would allow people to see where things come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that if I buy this product, I should have a little QR code I can scan, and it should mm-hmm. pop up and say, you know, this rubber ring came from here, and this came from here, and it was made in this factory. So that was my original business idea. Mm-hmm. Um, for various reasons, it, it, I didn't see there being a big market for that, mm-hmm. at least not at the time. But I started talking to people about it, and that's how the, the idea of Gemba came around, to not only provide transparency in the supply chain, but actually providing the supply chain to companies that, that don't know how to do it. Tell us more about Gemba. Yeah, uh, love to. So yeah, our, our our grand mission mission is to democratize product creation. Mm-hmm. You know, so that anybody anywhere that has an idea for a new product mm-hmm. should be able to create it, right? Because right now, even though I think we're all creative people, we're born to run. We're also born to create. Right? <laughs> That's the other thing that made us different than all the other species on the planet. That we could envision things that don't exist. And make them happen, right? Or create I love them. That. Like you know, we create a shelter and, and weapons and tools, and eventually that's what separates us from from the other species, right? Because uh, if you go back a few hundred thousand years, right, we were a pretty insignificant species walking around in savanna, 
there were a lot of animals that could kill us. We were not the fastest or the strongest. But by imagining things that don't exist and making them, eventually we moved up the food chain and now mm -hmm. we control the earth, right? So it's pretty powerful. So we, we always say it's innately and uniquely human to mm -hmm. create things. Uh, so that's our, our mantra. You know, we want to we want to empower, share the power of creation, and and allow people to create things. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's really we get inspired too because right now most things are created by large corporations and mostly white men sitting in buildings, probably and deciding what to what to create based on market research. And I think that it, it's something really powerful about uh, empowering anyone anywhere. Right? Uh, what if there's an mom of an autistic child in Egypt that has this idea of a device that could, could mm. help them. And if we could empower that person to create mm. a product that, that makes the world a little better. And that person doesn't care if she sells a million units, right? She's okay with creating 500 or mm -hmm. whatever it is. So we we're passionate about that, you know, of bringing um, uh, the ability to create and start your own business to, mm -hmm. to underrepresented groups anywhere uh, here in the US and, and mm -hmm. elsewhere. So that's that's the grand vision. How do you do that? Well, we you build a software platform that allow anybody to create things. So it has all the knowledge of how do you create something. Mm -hmm. So again, if you take this bottle, you say I want to create one of these, it'll mm -hmm. spit out whatever 150 point project plan. Say, oh, here are all the things you have to do. Mm -hmm. And then for each task, I'll say this is the type of person that can help you with that: an industrial mm -hmm. designer, a mechanical engineer, you know. A QC person, quality control person, and here are factories that can help you make that, and then help them go through the, all, the entire process of, of working with those people. So, wow, bringing together the, the perfect project plan with the perfect people, and help you create products. That's a massive undertaking with <laughs> yeah. such a big database <laughs> and that. Wow, Amazing. yeah, we have over two thousand factories now all over the world and six different regions. Wow. And teams all over the world. So we, on our all hands meeting, we have like people from nine different countries. Our holiday calendar is just ridiculous because we have all the holidays in India and China and Mexico in there. So it's not like everybody gets the holiday off, but we, we at least recognize that there's a holiday in different country. How amazing. You're connecting the world, empower everybody to create, to make their dream come true. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it all, or there's so much more, Henry? I feel like you are starting one after another after another. I feel like that's in your nature to create mm. more and more venture, to empower, to support the community, the people all at large. Is this what you want to see yourself doing for next X, Y, Z years? Yeah. I mean, I think that this could be a category-defining company. You know, mm. We always talk about that, that... Um, like everybody knows, if you say, where do you go to buy products overseas in China? Everybody's Alibaba. Okay, everybody mm. knows that, right? If you ask people, where do you go to create new products? Nobody has an answer. Mm. So that's that's the gap that we want to fill. Mm -hmm. And we believe that with all the other trends that are going on in the world, right? E-commerce mm -hmm. is growing like crazy. We have the great resignation in the mm. U.S. of, you know, Gen, Gen Zers don't want to work for big companies. They don't want to go to the office. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm similar for millennials and uh, Gen X. That I don't think that work's going to look the same mm -hmm. in the decades to come, right? So, mm -hmm. so you have that trend, and then you have the trend of supply chain disruption. You know, mm -hmm. China tariffs, COVID, um, probably 
continuing to have tense relations with China mm-hmm. uh, over over a period, and also the rising cost in China is driving a lot of manufacturing away from there because it it's becoming less and less affordable. Mm-hmm. And then you have Ukraine happening that's also disrupting supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, so these three things are are just driving more and more people want to start their own business, more and more people doing e-commerce, and and it's getting harder and harder to get the stuff that you need to sell. Mm -hmm. So I think that all that is creating this perfect storm in a good way for Gemba, Mm -hmm. that there's going to be a lot of people that need our services. Mm -hmm. And to date, we're the only one to really provide it in the way we are. So we have a head start, uh, try to run as fast as we can before anybody else figures it out. That's amazing. So, Henry, back to you, you know, I'm curious what drives you. That's a good question. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> well, I mean, part of it, I think, is that I want to make a difference. Um, Boundless was awesome in, in many ways um, and rewarding. But in the end, we were helping marketing teams in big companies do a little better, right? We were helping procurement teams save some money. And um, I never had that sense of accomplishment or mm-hmm. that, uh, or sense of that this is important, what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. It was important and, and, and good because we provided good jobs and mm-hmm. we, you know, we did good things. But in the end, if we didn't do it, would it have mattered? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, so I always felt like I wanted to do one more and I wanted to do something that that would make a difference that I'd be proud of, or my mom would be proud of, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that that's what drives me. Uh, also because I, I think I can. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if, if I didn't, I'd be waste. Yeah. I mean, if, if you have certain abilities, um, then why not use it? I mean, I, I, I don't like playing golf anyway, so <laughs> I'm, I enjoy working. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I like to work a little bit less, but, but yeah, I think I don't, I don't see it as just like you work mm-hmm. just to then have the weekends off or, or support yourself. I mean, this is this is what I do. Mm-hmm. I believe human beings we work to find meanings in our yeah. lives. Yeah. So with that, Henry, are you proud of yourself today? Some days, <laughs> I'm proud of my my family. Yeah. I'm proud of I think being a good person and being a good husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, at work, I'm pretty critical of myself. Mm. You know, I, I, I actually have a CEO coach that I work with. Mm-hmm. And I fill out a weekly report and I rate myself. Uh, and it's, you know, it's never a 10 on a scale from 1 to 10. So I think I'm, I'm pretty introspective and, and as I said, pragmatic about it. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm beating myself up and say, Dan Henry, you, you screwed up. Sometimes I do. But most of the time it's more like, yeah, this, you know, we, I wish it would have Got more done. I wish we would have done better here. And mm-hmm. uh, so I guess the short answer, not yet from a work perspective. <laughs> I'm not proud of what we accomplished yet, but I hope one day I will be. Mm. What does success mean to you, Henry? Success? Yeah, what does that mean for you? I mean, I think having an impact. I mean, it's a different level of success, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's success in in family and in life and, you know, get living in a good way that uh, you're a net positive contribution to the world. And, you know, I think on a day-to-day basis, I, you know, I look at my family, I look at what I accomplished. I think that that's, that's success. Um, Do you think you are a success today? Yeah. Yeah. 
but it could be more. It could be more successful. <laughs> now, I'd really want to, you know, create a category defining a, a, a big successful company that, mm -hmm. that has an impact on the world. But, mm -hmm. you know, thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of people are making their living through Gemba, right? Creating mm -hmm. new great things that have an impact and ideally making those products in a more sustainable way. So mm -hmm. we shift consumption away from things that damage the planet to things that mm -hmm. are, are at least less damaging, you know? Mm -hmm. The most, the least damaging is to stop consumption, but I don't think that's realistic. You know, mm -hmm. people are gonna wanna buy stuff. Mm -hmm. So can we help people make that stuff in a more sustainable way? I think so, yeah. and, uh, and that'd be pretty cool. Mm. I think you have such a big heart, Henry. I can no, tell that you, you have this vision. You want to truly make this world a better place by empowering, by enabling individuals to uh, to make their dream come true in a more mm. sustainable way so that we all can win. We win, human <laughs> win, nature yeah. win, the earth win, everybody win along the process. And that's incredible. And I'm well, curious, you. Henry, you know, in your perspective, you know, you are a serious entrepreneur. You start one company after another. You go after, like, you, you, not, nothing ever set you back. I'm curious. I'm curious, what is your superpower? What made you successful? <laughs> I don't think I have a superpower. But, I mean, I enjoy creation, I think. Um, mm. I used to draw a lot as a kid. I used to write a lot. Mm. Um, sometimes I think I should have become an artist instead of a businessman. Ooh. What um, would you be if you were an artist? So I, well, I'm, I'm about to finish a book about transparency in business and supply chain. Mm. Uh, so hoping to publish that this fall. It's that's, happening. Yeah, so that, that's great. Um, I always wanted to do more painting or, or yeah. art. Just never have found the time. I, I did some... Made, I wrote screenplays. I, I uh, made a couple of short films. What? Between, between uh, Credit Land and, and when I started Boundless. That's so cool. Put together a whole crew here in Austin, and we shot a shot a short film. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> mm. um, and right now we're we're also working on a a reality TV show for for help promote Gemba. Uh -huh. to follow these entrepreneurs that start with ideas, maybe have failed creating a product and then follow their journey yeah. all the way to final product. Yeah. So it'd be like Shark Tank, but before Shark Tank. Mm. When people end up on Shark Tank, they're already successful, right? Yeah. Already. But we want to create a show about mm -hmm. that journey, the creator's journey. Mm. So we're at now we, we have a deal with a production company, uh, Scout Productions. They did Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and, and a bunch of others. It's amazing. And they have a production deal with with several studios so yeah. i'm hoping we uh if we talk again in three months that we've sold a reality tv show and then that's, that's what's going to put gamble on the map that's amazing wow and henry with you know i know you meet so many creators in the world who have this huge heart huge dream to create this amazing product i'm curious what do you think is number one reason that he or she you know becomes successful in their journey of creation mm -hmm. what is one thing is it a mindset? Is it a characteristic? Is it a hardworking? Is it determination? Is it a vision? Is it tenacity? It could be all of those things. But yeah. is it one thing that you felt like is a fundamental element for their... I think most people, it's, it's, it's about creating a better, better world for themselves and their families. I think it, mm. ultimately, I think most people are driven by, by that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the the idea of 
having your own business, mm-hmm. controlling your life, mm-hmm. not just trading your 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 time, mm-hmm. which is limited on this earth, yeah. for money, right? Going to a job you don't like. Yeah. I mean, you may know the stats, but there's some crazy amounts, like 70, 80% of people don't feel motivated or mm-hmm. excited at work, right? So the vast exactly. majority of people just go to work every day and hate it and mm-hmm. wait for Friday to come around, right? So I think that's I, so sad. I think that's, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> terrible. Because <laughs> uh, we only sure have so much time. So I think that that, to, for, for people to be able to control their own time, to, mm-hmm. to build their own business, I think that it's just something really appealing about that and I, mm-hmm. I promote it. I hope my kids become entrepreneurs because I even though it's it's sometimes a hard journey, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, I wouldn't trade it for a corporate career and, you yeah. know, probably a much smoother path and better paying job if I yeah. would have stayed at Anderson Consulting all this year. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I made a lot of money that way too. Mm-hmm. Um and not have to take in that much risk. But But life is I, not I, about money, is it? No. And and the fact that you control your own life, you know, mm-hmm. you, you get to put your your little imprint, even if it's you know a small one in the big scheme of things, but that you yeah. you had an impact. Your life mattered in some way. Yeah, I love that because I felt the same. I think even though in the big picture we all so small and tiny and trivial, mm-hmm. but if we can make our day slightly different, mm-hmm. exciting, make an impact here and there, I think mm-hmm. collectively we can create that butterfly effect yeah and yeah. we can really make the world a better place yeah yeah one of our core values again but it wasn't boundless too was embrace the fun because mm. i think that you know we encourage everybody to try to put a smile on, on the other person's mm-hmm. face whether you talk to a customer or a fellow mm-hmm. employee or or suppliers like just mm-hmm. let's bring some joy into this because <laughs> life's too short <laughs> the days short. are too long to to not enjoy yourself so mm-hmm. i think that that's if you can make somebody else's day just a little bit better, then mm-hmm. you have a little bit of that butterfly effect. That's beautiful. If, Henry, you have a magic wand, you can go back to any moment in life if you want to. Would you change anything, any choices, <laughs> any decisions? Um, probably not. Um, not that there aren't things I regret, but if you if you watch the, what's it called? There's some show right now about time travel that if you go back and change anything, you never know what the effects are going to be. <laughs> you know, um, you know, there's certainly things. And it's kind of weird to think about it too, right? That the, the two children I have are there only because of everything that happened up until that moment mm. when when we created them. Mm-hmm. Right? If anything had changed prior to that, we wouldn't have them. Mm-hmm. It'd be somebody else, maybe, but mm-hmm. but not them. And I, you know, I think that, so yeah, short answer, no, I don't think I'd change anything mm. because I'm, I'm happy with where things are. Yeah. <laughs> what do you like, what do you like to leave the world behind with Henry? When people think about you, you know, thousands of years later, what do you like them to think about you? Uh, I read somewhere that, you know, somebody wrote a book, I think it's an Australian author that, um, interviewed people. Say one time? They interviewed old people mm. in, in some old folks' home, like people that were pretty close to the to the end mm-hmm. about what they you know, what they thought about life and if they regretted anything and and what they thought was important. And I think close to everyone said it was it's just about the people that you love and the people that are close to you and what they think. 
that matters in the end. So I don't aspire to have some monument or statue of me anywhere. I think that if, if your kids say that dad was an awesome dude and great father mm. and they tell their grandkids that, and you know, I think that that would be the best. I'm sure to say that today. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Henry, what would you wish you tell your younger self, younger version of yourself? What would you wish he know? Now you know. Don't go know. into that bar in Yugoslavia. Say it one more time. <laughs> Don't go into that bar in Yugoslavia. What happened? It's <laughs> oh, a long story. Um, what would I tell myself? Yeah. Maybe it's a younger version when when we were, you know, fourteen, fifteen, when our yeah. first dream did not come true, being a runner, or when our first company did not exactly succeed as we expected. Yeah. What would you want him to know? Yeah, the first company definitely would conserve cash. <laughs> mm. But yeah, again, that's I I've had a really good life. I'm I'm very grateful for the for the life I've had and I made plenty of mistakes and failed at mm-hmm. about half of the ventures I've been through, you know. Uh but you learn from the failure and you know uh I think sometimes people see failure as, as this terrible thing. I think often when we look back that's mm-hmm. that's how we learn. Um and you know it's it's in the eye of the beholder too right if you're if you're beating yourself up over it then mm-hmm. you know the, then you keep on inflicting that same pain on yourself over and over i think you have to be a little bit like an nfl quarterback you have to have <laughs> very short memory and mm-hmm. you know you make a mistake you it's like okay i'm not going to beat myself up what happened happened i can't change it right now all i can deal with is the situation i have in front of me and mm-hmm. and move forward and i say if anything they maybe appreciate Appreciate the little things and, and be grateful. Mm. Appreciate little things and being grateful. I love that. Mm-hmm. And one new word I learned lately is called tragic optimism. And I think quite describing what you just said earlier. And oftentimes it's a failure, it's a challenge, it's a upset, it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. But we just get up, keep going. It does not matter when you fall. only matter when you get up. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Henry, I want to ask you a last question. What does American dream mean for you? <laughs> you are someone come afar from a long yeah. way, and today you find your home here in Austin, Texas. You have an amazing career, a wonderful family, and lovely friends surrounding you and community. And I'm curious, what does American dream mean for you? Well, I think in many ways I'm living it. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I also can... understand that I'm I'm very privileged as a white man mm. and that's something that you know i think you know more so lately than than when i was younger to really see that mm. you know um so that's something that it's going to be priority going forward to really try to build a more diverse culture and and, and engage in those questions more mm-hmm. i think there's some really so i i love america i love everything that, that this um they've been able to accomplish here and and uh there's there's some concerning things going on in this country right now, I think, with freedoms being taken away, and um, that's very disturbing to me. Um, but I can't control that. Um, so I'll stick to the original answer. The American dream, I think it's it's great. I've been able to come here from a different country uh, and be able to you know build an awesome life here, and, mm. and I think that that's still something really amazing about America, that mm. you can do that. 
but I think we all need to work on making sure that that dream is available to everybody. Mm. I love that. We are here to make a world better place for us, but also for everybody around. Yes. Any else, Harry, you want to share with us that I have not asked today? What's your definition of the American dream? Ooh. You know, I'm someone that come a long way from a little mountain town, a little village in China, mm -hmm. all the way in America. And I came here 11 years ago. For me, American dream is still alive and thriving in my heart. Mm -hmm. And for me, the way how I see it is, is this ability to have an idea, have innovation and make it happen. Mm -hmm. And where I come from is not much a case, yeah. especially for a woman who look like me, who sounds like me, mm. having too much ambition is not a good thing from mm. where I come from. Yeah. Where I come from, my voice does not matter. No one want to hear what I have to say. All it matters is me sitting still, smile often, wear dresses. That's all it counts. Yeah. And I never see that for myself. And I think American offer me this this playground that mm -hmm. I get to define who I wanted to be rather than what the world see me in it. And I get to not only define myself, I get to have ability to turn my idea, my vision, and go after whatever dream I want because the world, it is our oyster. If you can dream it, you can make it happen. And I truly believe in that, having that determination, but also paired with the hard work, mm -hmm. asking questions, being curious, and being humble. So what if you screw up? Just get up second time. Like yeah. That sense of freedom is something that I truly, truly humble and grateful for. It's nothing mm -hmm. that I've been given to. I yeah. fight for everything in my life so I can have this mm -hmm. sense of freedom and joy. And today I'm living here. I felt tremendous grateful. It gave me everything I am, I have in my life. And I felt so honored that if I can extend this dream for many others just like me. That's beautiful. I got goosebumps. Oh, <laughs> thank you. No, but that's, that's that's really amazing because, I mean, I come from Sweden. It's, it's also democracy and a free, very free country, mm -hmm. even more free than the U.S., I would say, today. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, so, so America, great. But I, I never had that huge shift. You mm -hmm. know, you can you can start a company and be successful in, in Sweden, too, and, and mm -hmm. express yourself. But, but I you know, I hear that, that there, often we forget how grateful we how grateful we should be you know yeah. how lucky we are yeah. to wake up every day and, and have the freedoms that we have um, yeah. so thanks for reminding me of that that's oh. great well i i i felt tremendous honor you know i really think about this a mountain girl like me never meant to come this far and mm -hmm. in this exact moment i get to sit in front of this amazing human being amazing leader get to share the stories and i th i want to say it's never just happened for me. I mm. hustle three decades every single day. So mm. then I had the honor. I have the chance to sit here having a conversation. And I really don't take it lightly. So thank you for reminding me of my why and why I'm here. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, with that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning with us today. I am so enjoyed this conversation. I hope you are too. And I cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye, guys.